This is it right here. Combining a team of reporters, columnists, and commentators. Don't you ever talk about me! Are you serious? Jack Ebling has brought thought-provoking discussion. What are you doing? That's a damn coaching mistake. Opinion. The customer is the one who decides when the future gets here. Oh, no! The ship is on fire! You have to check the report. Are you kidding me? That game was fixed. And overall infotainment. I'll take Jim Harbaugh. What has he done? Crazy cooter coming at you. <laughs> yeah! Quiet, please. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Thanks, big fella. Don't you ever come back here again. No arguments. Those are called ass tunes. So buckle up. You talking to me? Whoa! It's time for The Drive with Jack Ebling. Yeah, for some reason or another... You sound a little taller on radio. Great afternoon in Michigan and beyond, and welcome to The Drive with Jack. It is the Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Evelyn here with my producer today, Alex Heward, and I am in beautiful San Diego, California. Didn't realize, Alex, that it was going to be 11 degrees cooler here than it is in mid-Michigan today, but it is gorgeous. 64 degrees. And we have a packed show planned for you, including a great installment of Growing Green, a football family with Mark D'Antonio and three of his former players. But we want to start out talking about the Armed Forces Classic that is tomorrow, 6.30 tip here in mid-Michigan, and that is 3.30 on the ship. And want to welcome in Michigan State Assistant Coach Whoa, Jake. Doug, how are you? Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me. Doing well, thanks. Well, I would think that anything involving the Armed Forces Classic is something that you could relate to back from your days at the Naval Academy as a point guard for David Robinson. Of course. I mean, uh, I, I did serve on ships, so uh, there's certainly different things you can do in the military and certainly the Navy and the Marine Corps because the Navy and the Marine Corps uh, kind of go hand in hand. I don't know if a lot of people realize that uh, if you're a Naval Academy graduate, about 20% of the class goes to goes into the Marine Corps. So I'll be okay. able to relate. I'm, I'm really anxious to kind of watch the kids, the players' reaction uh, yeah. when we go on the go on the ship here in about two hours. I can tell you from 2011 that that was the highlight. I mean, seeing basketball on the boat was something else. Uh, having the president there and talking to the media was something else. But to see the looks on the troops' faces, uh, it was incredible to see the tears when they watched the teams practice. And there was a guy, Doug, who had bought a shoe, I want to say on eBay. It was a Michigan State basketball shoe. And his wife had breast cancer. And he wanted to get this shoe autographed by Tom Izzo, and then he was going to sell it. And when Izzo found out about that, he nearly adopted the serviceman and uh, brought him over. He had everyone sign it. And uh, when the guy left, uh, he was in tears. I don't know how much he got for the shoe, but it was a day he will never forget. Well, it's just a special time because obviously the U.S. naval aircraft carrier is, is security sensitive area. So not many people get yeah. to do what we're, we're about to do. So, um, 
in that sense, you know, people have asked me, well, about the Navy. Well, I left the Navy 30 years ago. It's not like I, you know, go visit <laughs> ships every month because I don't have the clearance to do that. So it's That's just right. a special opportunity for the for our team and our fan base and just everything, everyone, just to, to be a part of this. And, and for me, it's it's kind of threefold. It's the Navy. It's uh, Tom Izzo and my mentor and uh, another great friend of mine in, in Mark Few, where I spent a year and our kids yeah. have grown up together. And so it's a really special thing. And then, of course, my wife was stationed in San, San Diego, right, right on the air base at the Naval Air Station mm-hmm. here where the uh, carrier is located. So, um, you know, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I would say the only other person who knows Tom Izzo and Mark Few, as well as you, might be Judd Heathcote, uh, having mm-hmm. mentored mm-hmm. for 12 years and then uh, having lunch regularly with Mark Few in Spokane. What similarities do you see with the two of them besides great records? Well, I mean, just, just running great programs. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, Tom in, in the Michigan State situation, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of build it and then maintain it for these 28 years is, is certainly no small task. And then, of course, Mark, uh, I try to do the same thing at Tulsa that Mark's done at, at Gonzaga, and I won, and yet it's really hard to do, guys. He's never not played in the NCAA tournament. He's now think about that. He's never not played in the NCAA tournament. You can say, ah, his conference, this and that. No, he has built this thing in Spokane, Washington, Spokane, Washington, into a national power, which is just an amazing, enormous task. Yeah. Uh, there was a point, Doug, when <laughs> people thought of Gonzaga as a mid major. Those days are long gone regardless of the conference. And it's hard to imagine a season now when Gonzaga doesn't start in the top ten. Exactly. And, and you know, it's just like any good company. Uh, I mean, how do you maintain it, right? I mean, there's there's highs, there's lows. Uh, um, you, you've got to have the right people around you. And that entire town, I mean, what Mark Few has done for the city of Spokane is enormous. What he's done for eastern Washington as a state is enormous. And so I feel like Coach and, and he, in that sense, you know, Coach is bigger than – Coach is, when I talk about him, I, I refer to him as Coach. I mean, Coach is bigger than just Michigan State basketball. And Mark Few is just – he's bigger than just Gonzaga basketball. Now, they won't say that. They're both very humble that way, but uh, both deserve equal credit. Um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of mid-major programs around the country. Their fan bases, their – their administration, their board of directors uh, think that they can do that and, dep- and duplicate it, and it's impossible to do. The first year that Gonzaga went to the NCAA tournament, uh, that was a Dan Munson-led team. And then Mark took over from there and uh, just kept ratcheting it up higher and higher. And a lot of people think that uh, Gonzaga has a chance to be in a national championship game, certainly in the final four again this year, which is not unusual. What do you expect to see from this Gonzaga team? We know about Drew Timmy. What else can you tell us? Well, they've got good players everywhere. I mean, Nolan Hickman, the point guard, the five-star recruit, initially committed to Kentucky. Uh, Hunter Salas from Omaha, Nebraska, is five-star recruit. 
Uh, Anton Watson, kind of cool thing there. Anton Watson is a Gonzaga prep kid, been there four years. My son, Paxson, my oldest, was in the ninth grade with him at Gonzaga Prep, and they played. They both played on the same AAU team. John Stockton was their coach, so right. he's an experienced player. Um, so they've got talent. They've got rated kids. Uh, they've got supreme offense on game day. I was there for a year. They expect to win every game, um, and I think they have the size and length to kind of live up to expectations um, as they kind of grow through their season as well. It's funny when you talk about John Stockton. Uh, we have so many ties with yeah. a matchup like this. And uh, I know that when these teams have met before, Judd Eathcote's uh, got a good seat looking down on it. But the idea that you might have the two greatest point guards in basketball history growing up in those communities in Irvin Johnson and John Stockton. Yeah, that that is amazing. And, of course, I think you referred to it earlier. I mean, the connection with Judd. I mean, Judd was a high school coach in Spokane. So he, yeah. he, he retires in Michigan State and he goes back to Spokane. So there is history there. There's history between Mark and Tom in, in a very good way. And, and then, of course, you know, with my just being fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, having worked at both. And then when you think of the Stockton Magic situation, I mean, it's just – you know, they're small communities that uh, are basketball communities, and um, the parallels are, are very similar. One, you know, obviously one being a Big Ten program and one being right. a, a West Coast Conference program. But, you know, uh, Magic and John and certainly Judd tie it all together for us. We're talking with Doug Wojcik, a Michigan State assistant coach. He's worn a lot of hats. He's been a head coach at Tulsa, worked for both of these head coaches and their programs. Doug, when we look at what we're going to see tomorrow, and mm-hmm. playing on a shift, the sight lines are even more different, I would guess, than they are when you're in an NCAA tournament in a dome. Uh, what do you have to do? It's not like you have a lot of practice time over there. Yeah, we're going over there here, here shortly, and we'll figure it out. You know, I can't really speak to it because I've never done it yet. So yeah. I don't know. Um, and... Um, you know, we'll just kind of see how it is. Obviously, the sun. When we're, we're actually practicing on on the court at 4:30, which will be game time tomorrow. So it'll be yeah. interesting that we're, we we've got that time frame to do it. We're going to have Austin Thornton on with us uh, a little bit later, and I would guess that he would know more than anyone since he was a co-captain of the team that played on the carrier. Austin. You, you broke up. You, you're talking to Austin. Yeah, I say uh, Austin yeah. Gordon would probably know better than anyone because he was a co-captain of that team yeah. in 2012. Yeah. Right? yeah, and I mean he he does. But coach coach was there too, so you know coach yeah. you know yeah. gets up there and speaks to his experience. And then I think Austin's done a nice job with our players by like, privately and talking about it. And uh, there's an excitement, you know. There's an excitement with our managers. You know, our trainer, I mean, just everyone. I mean, who, who gets to do this? Um, we're grateful. We're blessed. We're fortunate that we're able to do it. So uh, take it all in. Um, and, and, you know, we'll probably just love the tour of the ship we're getting here shortly and and then be excited to play. Um, I like where our team is. Uh, you know, having to go to Tennessee and scrimmage was a very, very good thing for us. Yeah, um, yeah. 
learning from the Grand Valley game and taking it to the Northern Arizona game. I think we're getting better defensively, um, which is really important. And, uh, you know, roles are being defined as we go. And it's always great to know what the roles are. When you know your role and you accept your role, then you have a special team. Well, let's talk for a minute about your role this year and with Dwayne Stevens taking over as the head coach at Western Michigan and nearly stung Minnesota the other night, losing by a point in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, you're taking over a lot of the work with the bigs, I understand. And yep. uh, what is that like? I love it. I've always enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's it's funny just having played with the college player of the year in a David Robinson. I was a point guard that understood what my role was, and I threw it into him and another kid that uh, was the second leading scorer in school history, uh, a guy named Vernon Butler. So I understand the value of post play. Uh, I've always enjoyed post play. I thought Matt Doherty in my career taught me a lot about coaching post play. At North mm -hmm. Carolina and Notre Dame, we had Troy Murphy and Brendan Haywood and Chris Lang and Julius Peppers. So I learned a lot there. And, and for me, the value, the sense of purpose, the growth, the learning, uh, I really enjoy that. Um, so I've got three guys for the most part. I've got Monty Sissoko, I've got Jackson Kohler, and, I love, and, and Carson Cooper, and I love all of them. I think they're all mm -hmm. talented, and I think they listen very, very well. And uh, we're a work in progress but we certainly enjoy each other. And uh, I just find just a great sense of purpose every day with those guys. So I've enjoyed it. Doug, uh, Maddie has not missed a shot thus far uh, in the yep. exhibition game of Grand Valley and the opening win over Northern Arizona. What's the biggest improvement in his game? Yeah, to me, Zach, I mean, everyone wants to judge the game, even you right now, about offense. So I'm a little down yeah. on you right now. So, um, you know, the game is played at two ends. This is not football. We don't have a defense, right. and, and we play eight seconds, and now we go to the next down. We don't – it's not a football and offense. It's you got It's a transitional game. So where I want Marty to improve is his balance. I want him to improve as a potential elite defender. Uh, yeah. I want to improve him as a an elite rebounder with balance. So um, mm -hmm. all those things are sort of coming together. Uh, if he can get a ball screen roll dunk at the rim, fantastic. If he can get yeah. a nice jump hook, fantastic. If he can get a drop-off pass in the dunker spot on the baseline, fantastic. More than anything else offensively, catch the ball and, and do those things, but also be able to make your free throws. Right. And then we'll go right. from there. You know, we'll go from there. It's a, Monty's got three years left with us. Um, he's a fantastic human being. His journey is just an unbelievable story. Um, so uh, those are the things we're concentrating on. We're, we're, you know, we're not concentrating on, oh, man, he's really progressive. He's going to shoot the three-point shot. You know, right. I, I, I could care less about that. It's, it's the little things, and particularly the defense and the rebounding. If he can do his job there, you know, I think our team has a real, real chance. Well, you mentioned balance, and I think that's something that can help them stay out of foul trouble, uh, which could be a concern. But he hasn't been in foul trouble, Jack. Yeah. So let's not even talk about foul trouble. Okay. He's, played in, <laughs> he's played in four games now. or I'm sorry, three games. Tennessee, uh, Tennessee scrimmage, Grand Valley exhibition, 
and um, and then the, the opener against Northern Arizona. So I don't think that should even be part of his narrative. Now, foul trouble okay. with any team, foul trouble with any team is an issue. If Drew Timmy gets in foul trouble, Gonzaga's in trouble. So, but I don't want the narrative to be Monty fouls all the time because the truth is when he's played big minutes, and this is the only year that he's played big minutes, mm-hmm. he has not been in foul trouble. So he's done a very, very good job. That is a that is a major piece of progress from say last year to this year. In fact, you know, played him at Tennessee twenty eight minutes just to see. He's never done it. Let me just see what my thoroughbred does here, right? Like letting letting go. And guess what? He played twenty eight minutes with four fouls. So that was a that might be something someone else doesn't even think about. But for me, that was a small victory for us as a team. And for him personally. Well, he's not going to have to play 40 minutes, as you nope. said. And Jackson nope. Kohler coming in as a freshman seems very coachable. He got some coaching the other night. And uh, he also has some things that uh, you don't have to teach him as far as post moves. But as Tom was saying, you can't just try to do that. you got to get the ball out and get it back in and, some of the other nuances of the college game. How's he progressing? Uh, he's doing a great job. He, absolute sincere effort. Uh, terrific listener. It's important to him. Competitive. Has great hands. You know, as far as running the floor, he's done what we've asked him to do. We understand that that's the thing that he has to improve the most, sliding his feet defensively. But more than anything else, the effort is there, the desire is there, the interest is there, and the passion is there. So he'll get there. Uh, you know, Drew Timmy by yourself is a real true task. He's going to yeah. probably take 20 shots tomorrow. Um, but, uh, you know, the only time you can really get mad is if somebody's really – they don't care and they're not listening and they're not trying. Right. And Jackson Kohler, man, he's trying. And, uh, and so is Carson Cooper. I, yeah, I have I have high high expectations for Carson Cooper. High high. I mean, I've been around the game for 32 years, and that's a kid that's low maintenance, takes it all in, and has tremendous talent. And he's going to be a good player as well. So we have a three-headed monster, and yeah. if someone plays small on us, we can play Joey or Malik at the five if we have to. Tom has mentioned uh, Carson Cooper as well, and what a great athlete he seems to be. All the other things he can do with mm-hmm. throwing the football and the jet skis and everything else. So uh, his best basketball is definitely well ahead of him. But for these centers, Doug, it's hard to imagine a, a much more daunting task uh, than opening up against Drew Timmy and Oscar Shibway. And then you talk mm-hmm. to Jackson Kohler, and he's counting down the days. So. I don't think he's going to be intimidated. Well, no. I mean, there's a lot to learn. I mean, why, why shouldn't a kid be excited? If this has been your dream, you know, regardless of who you play, he's excited for the opener as well. But it just happens to be these great challenges here initially in the season, which is going to make us better for Big Ten play come, you know, December, January, and February. Doug, last thing uh, before we let you go, I appreciate all your time today. Oh, yeah. Uh, Michigan State's recruiting class, I know you have a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. ranked second, third, I think the lowest I've seen anywhere was fifth. And uh, Tom had a, a video, usually has a press conference, but this week we understood why that couldn't happen. Yep. Uh, talking about the class, the members of the class, and 
And uh, he's told me he thinks this might be as good a four-player class as he's had. Yeah, we're really pleased. I mean, Mark Montgomery's done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, he and I, you know, uh, were together uh, in, in 03 to 05, and then last year with DJ, things started then, and, and uh, you know, it all came together for us. We got a little bit of everything. Uh, we're very, very pleased. I think uh, our approach, we talk recruiting a lot. Uh, Thomas Kelly and John Borovich. I mean, we're we're always talking and communicating and sharing information, which has just been fantastic. And um, it led to this class, and hopefully, it leads to you know future great classes. But you know, everyone needs to understand that we're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle to a good team, a great team together. And um, each one of these young men is a very nice piece to what we already have and what we already think that we'll we'll have next year we retain going forward, especially as you've heard time and time again from Tom in a, in a very uncertain world of the transfer portal and the NIL. So we feel good about them. We feel good about their families. We just feel good about they are our culture guys besides their talent. And it's a decision that was made, and uh, he is – Certainly, I guess when you have a recruiting class like that, uh, the choice not to go into the transfer portal uh, looks even better. We're talking with Doug Wojcik. Doug, thanks so much. Okay. For your thanks, time. Jack. Okay. We'll see, see you buddy. tomorrow go. on the USS Abraham Lincoln and next Tuesday in Indianapolis. We'll be right back. Growing Green, a football family. We're talking about episode 18 in a 19-part series, and we're going to start with Mark D'Antonio. We'll be right back on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two for $38 tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, They have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. 
Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Eblin here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall. Or Spartan fans shop. You're listening to The Drive with Jack Everett. You want to win, don't you? Well, I think I'd really rather try to beat him honestly. SpotlightMediaStudios.com Welcome back. It is The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network. We are here for episode 18 in our 19-part series. Growing Green, a football family. And we are to the second part of the Mark D'Antonio era. And what a time it was for Michigan State football. I don't think anyone in the world outside the D'Antonio family would have thought that Michigan State would have a six-year run as it did from 2010 through 2015 
when it was one of the dominant players in the college football world, certainly three Big Ten championships in that span, and really changing the program, putting it back on the national map, something that a lot of people said could not be done, not to that degree, but Mark D'Antonio refused to accept no for an answer there and brought with him an incredible pedigree. He had head coaching experience. He was an assistant coach with a national championship ring at Ohio State, and uh, he was an excellent defensive back also at South Carolina. But when he came to Michigan State, he had to build a foundation. He had to change a culture, and he did that. Uh, by year four, Michigan State was ready to roll and uh, did some things that very few people saw coming. His players certainly believed, and that's something that you have to have before you can have any other kind of success. Uh, we're going to have Mark D'Antonio with us, and, and we're going to have four of his players with us. We're going to talk with Aaron Bates. We're going to talk with Benny Fowler. We're going to talk with Darquez Denard and Michael Geiger and so many great victories in that span. But we want to welcome in Mark D'Antonio. He is more than the winningest coach in Michigan State history. 114 wins, 57 losses. And Mark, when did you know that you were going to be a football coach going back to your days in Zanesville, and then uh, you get a brief stop at the U.S. Military Academy and then on to that career at South Carolina. When did you know that this was the life for you? Well, my, uh, my father was an educator and was a coach and, uh, you know, then became an assistant principal and those type of things. So, you know, um, as I went through life in Zanesville, Ohio, you know, I played all the sports and uh, started to think about, you know, what do you want to do when you – when you graduate and, uh, from college and things of that nature, and uh, had a guy that coached me at uh, at South Carolina by the name. You may have met him at some point. He showed up, uh, I think, every year to a game. Came to the Rose Bowl, and right, and he sort of right. impacted my life. He impacted my life in that regard, and I, I thought, I like football, I like being around it. I like young people. I like to watch people grow. I, you know, it's an edu- you know, you're sort of a, you're an educator, and uh, you know, I thought it'd be a great great way to make a living and uh um and i had a passion for it so that's sort of how i got started you know along the road you know you always hear about the things that you do afterwards but you know as a graduate assistant at ohio university i started at a high school in anderson south carolina west side high school which is actually actually where george webster played mm. long time spartan right nfl guy and um one of duffy's probably finest recruits, but then went to Ohio U, got my yeah. master's on to Purdue, worked for Jim Young, who's a tremendous coach, so right, and then uh, junior college for a year, and then to Ohio State for a couple of years. A guy by the name of Randy Hart brought me there, and you know, I worked for, so I worked for Earl Bruce, got to know Jim Trestle, worked for Dom Capers, Gary Blackney, some, you know, Hall of Fame type coaches, and uh, right, then, right. uh, then you finally get in, you become an assistant coach. So it's a long road. Yeah. It's, it's a long road. But uh, at every at every turn, you know, I had 
I had fun coaching. I had fun coaching our guys, and uh, it was a great, uh, yeah. great profession for me and my family. Uh, you mentioned Anderson, South Carolina. I think it's interesting that George, uh, George Webster, uh, arguably the greatest player in Michigan State history, and Mark D'Antonio, the winningest coach, uh, would have come from the same building. But when you think back to your roots, you dealt with student-athletes for so many years, but one of the things that always stood out to me about you was that you were a student. You never stopped learning, and whether it was learning from the Bible, whether it was learning from other people, whether it was learning from situations, you said Mark D'Antonio didn't make the same mistake twice. We all make them, but you learned from those. What's the biggest thing that you learned from working for Nick Saban? Oh, you know, I, I mean, I was played in the secondary and coached in the secondary my whole my whole time. And when I got to Michigan State as an assistant coach, I found out how much I didn't know about defensive back play. And he really, really <laughs> indoctrinated me in uh, in terms of, you know, he was coming. Remember, he was coming from Toledo, but he had been with the Oilers. Right. He's who's now the coordinator. You know, he's coordinator at the. Patriots, and now he's at the Falcons. Right. He was at the Titans. Yeah. He was our defensive coordinator, and uh, so just a tremendous amount of growth in terms of as a student of the game when uh, when work for Nick and uh, and then with Dean and uh, and the other coaches there. And so uh, we had a great staff and uh, great group group of guys to coach. But uh, just that that whole uh, you know you really can't put a finger on what it, but it was so much more technique oriented. Uh, um, scheme wise and all those type of things, and I was able to take that with me to Ohio State when I went there and, and right. build on those things. And then, um, and then you know, sometimes when you go up, you got to give up a little bit too, you know. So as I came the defense coordinator, I hired Mel, and uh, you know he coached secondary, yeah. and I coached messed with the safety son, but he basically had the secondary, and then so I had to give up a little bit. And then uh, when I became the head coach at Cincinnati, you know Pat Narduzzi comes in and. Uh, Again, you know, brings his defense philosophy, which we tried to mend together with mine. And eventually, it's it, uh, you know, you got to give up to go up. So you know, um, we still pattern things after my beliefs and everything. But uh, and there was changes made, and we tweaked those changes throughout. And even now, when I go over to Pitt and come to go to practice, or in the spring or the summer or whatever, you know, he's still tweaking things. And I think that's the that's the uh, example of a great coach when you continue to try and learn. And we did that at Michigan State when I was there. And That's not something that's unusual to every program. Every program during the offseason, during that reset period of February, you know, March, they, uh, they are out trying to figure out what's the new and best way to do things. Well, you talk about how much you did not know, Mark. You obviously knew enough in 1998 in Columbus to tell Ronaldo Hill, eh, why don't you just go ahead and intercept that fourth down pass in one of the great upsets in uh, college football history? Yeah, you know, uh, Ronaldo used to call him the truth because he was so such a pure technician. And, you know, he's a guy that now is the defense coordinator for, I think, the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's gone on and done some, some amazing things as well, 10-year NFL career and but, uh, you know, he had a moment in time there where he, he said, you know, the world sort of stood still. Right. So that was a huge win and uh, played very well. You know, Julian Peterson had, I think, five sacks. You know, a couple big plays on offense, and boom, 
we win the game, you know. And uh, yeah, it's amazing, you know, that '98 team. We didn't go to a bowl that year, yeah, so it just yeah. gives you an indication that you know, on any given day, anything can happen. That's right. You just keep playing. It's an amazing up. team. It could leave Notre Dame forty-two to three at the half and beat the number one ranked team, and uh, you know, winds up six and six. But you talk about Jim Trussell and coaching for him twice, and, and he loves Mark D'Antonio, so calls you Dino. But yeah. what did you learn from the senator? You know, just uh, his, his overall, you know, another great technician guy and a great administrator. And uh, But he gave you, uh, he's another guy, he gave you latitude to do the things that you want to do. Um, he said one time to me, you know, when I was maybe getting a little more complicated than we should, you know, we play best when. And I said, well, when we play fast. And he said, yep. Keep it simple. So my mm-hmm. my job was to keep it as simple as possible, but be be comprehensive in everything that we did. In other words, cover all the bases and have right. changeups and everything, but keep it simple. So we did have great players and uh, we were able to play fast. But Coach Tress is an amazing person and a deeply caring person. And you know, I don't know a player that's played for him that won't run, run, run through a wall, or a coach that's coached for him that. Uh, well, won't run through a wall for that guy. You know, he just could touch the human heart, and it was able to harness harness the human spirit. I believe. But, uh, so I was well, so many. So say so many great games and so many spectacular wins. We don't have anything close to the time to touch on them all. But when you're 39 and nine in the Big Ten over a six-year period, those numbers speak for themselves. Is there a game in that span, whether it's uh, all the wins over Michigan, uh, whether it's the Little Giants, whether it's uh, the Rose Bowl or the, the big wins in 2015 that uh, you look back on and you smile, and if you could only watch one of them, uh, which is your favorite? <laughs> you know, I get asked that quite a bit nowadays. You're done. <laughs> the Big Ten, BTN wanted me to put together my top ten games or moments. I couldn't do it. Uh, there's been a, a lot of great moments and a lot of great uh, uh, wins. Um, I always, uh, you know, which I think, uh, you know, I always measured how we played or how how our football team was. And that was a really big deal. To what what we do after a big win or what we do after the Michigan game, win or lose, how do we respond? So a lot of my biggest moments were responding to adversity and uh, okay, what we were going to do. And I think you're defined by that. You know, that's. Hopefully what my players took away from all, a lot of this stuff is the definition of success is how you respond to problems. But um, I thought that, uh, you know, we've had some great, great games uh, down in Columbus, Rose Bowl, Big Ten championships, you know, first Big Ten championship game we played in, we caught them, but, you know, I knew that we would get back there. And, uh, you know, that, you know, when we did get back there, we played with more strength than we did this time. You know, we'd know where to go and what to do. That's what happened in the Ohio State Championship game. You know, the uh, one in 13, and uh, we were able to come away with a win there. But that game, Rose Bowl, obviously, the Iowa game, becoming, you know, when you put the stamp on it and you play and you're Big Ten champs, you know, that's a, that's a sort of etched into history. And uh, so those are some of the big ones, but uh, they were a lot of big ones. A lot of big games and a lot of great moments, and uh, for me to sit there and say, you know, even even in 2007 and 2008, you know, 2008, you know, playing Penn State for the championship, or part yeah. of the championship, the last game of the season. So 
those guys had a great deal, great deal of success as well. And I just appreciate all the effort and hard work and trust that our players put in me over the course of time. One of the things, Mark, that has meant the most to the Michigan State family, to this broad alumni base, was you bringing the pride back. And uh, nowhere was that more evident than in the series against Michigan, the seven wins in eight seasons against the Wolverines. I remember Kirk Cousins sitting up there and saying how uh, he can walk the streets and not the alleys anymore. And uh, the Michigan State, it seemed like, uh, was the team, the University of Michigan during that span. How important was that rivalry and the fact that after the 2007 loss, you were able to recalibrate and set the expectations for the program? Well, even before that that game, you know, even before the seventh game, you know, I knew that coming in there, because I'd been at Michigan State before, how important it was to measure up against the University of Michigan. You know, I mean, they got a great tradition. They got a lot of things yeah. going for them. And if you were going to be successful in that state recruiting, you had to win your share or more. Right. And uh, so that's what we, we started out to do. And then once that was finished, and that became pretty much a – I mean, it wasn't a known – I mean, it was pretty much going to get done, you know, in our in our best years. I mean, we were going to win that game. Yeah. Uh, then the next challenge was measure up against the best team in the conference, and that was definitely Ohio State. And uh, we were able to do that two out of three years as well, and uh, you know, in 15, 13 and 15. And so, you know, there's always another challenge in front of you. And uh, certainly when we went to the college football playoffs, you know, we – I thought we hung in there in the first half, but then they distanced themselves from us. But that was the next challenge. And, you know, we never got back to that challenge. But there was always something else to try and accomplish. And that's the nature of sport. You can always get a little bit better and or a little bit worse. And, you know, things hang on a dime sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or on an injury here or a you know, moment there or here or there. But, you know, those type of things are, are real. You're always trying to – I don't think you're ever finished. You really never are you finally step away from it and even then sometimes you wonder are you finished but um you know it was just the it's just sort of how i was built you know i mean nick saban never looked for never never was satisfied right jim trestle when we when we won the national championship it was he and i in the locker room after the game and i said you know made a comment about well we did this in year two i can't believe it he's like yep We'll meet next Monday at such and such a time. And it was just like, okay, that's the next challenge. So Mark, uh, that's just sort of, sort of the way it was meant, meant to be, I think. A lot of people try to put your 13 years in perspective, and, and I've tried to do that in a, a couple of books and uh, uh, spent a lot of time on that in uh, Heart of a Spartan. But how would you describe your 13 years at Michigan State, and what is the legacy? Well, I hope that I'm defined by what I did for people and my players and not so much as wins and losses all the time. I hope yeah. you're defined by that, and that's why you coach. You need to win. There's no question about that, but relationships and what they do as young people are, are is so important, I think, in the big, big picture, and you know, if things are going well in their life and they're growing as individuals, then they're going to be more successful in the football field, too. So it sort of goes hand in hand. So, you know, I looked at uh, 
what we did in 13 years. We came there, intent on building something, built it, and uh, sort of sat in there. And, you know, I don't want to say relish, but, you know, we we accomplished some dreams. And then, uh, you know, left a little bit of a legacy in terms of, okay, this is where it should be and what it should be about. But, you know, 13 years is a long time. There's not, you know, I was the, uh, mm-hmm. I think I was the seventh longest tenured coach in America at that time, seventh wow. grade when I retired. So here's a long time, a lot of players, some difficult situations along the way. There always is, especially when you've got 18 to 22-year-old players and, you know, the unknown on the field, off the field, you know, those type of things. He's always going to be there. But. I thoroughly enjoyed our players and uh, and their families, and uh, you know I was blessed to be where I was at for that long a time, and uh, just kept moving, kept moving, and we, you know we'd always have something, whether it was be chase it or reach higher yeah. or whatever that whatever it was, it sort of fit the time, and uh, I can tell you that one of my biggest years, you know, when we were three and nine, and you know we needed to bounce back, we lost a lot of close games that year. But it was right, tough. Right. And we needed to bounce back in seventeen. The fact that we ended up ten and three that year yes. was as great a year as any of them just because you bounced off the it's how you bounce from the bottom. Just like this last week against Illinois, you know. Yeah. That, that had to be tremendous to win after after the previous week, you know. I mean it's how you bounce on the bottom. That's gonna be your next challenge. We should let everyone know that Mark D'Antonio is uh, such a member of the Spartan family. He is also in San Diego and has some uh, alumni duties and some other things here before the Armed Forces Classic. Seconds are ticking away on this segment, Mark. We can't call time out, but the last sure. snap for you. Can you do an introduction on our next guest, a guy named Aaron Bates? Yeah, sure. First of all, I'm excited to be out here with uh, Coach Izzo and the basketball team. They've been great throughout my time here, so I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, Aaron Bates is from my hometown, basically. And, uh, you know, he came to Michigan State and immediately assumed the punter, punter's uh, position. Punted for us for four years. Was a captain, which I think is very unique. You don't find many punters who become a, pe- a captain. But, uh, right. um, you know, he was very well respected among his peers, hard worker. I tried to hire him. Actually had him as a graduate assistant after that in the weight room and, uh, he wanted to go into high school administration and did that, but uh, I think he would have been a great college coach. But uh, I knew he was money when we when we were going to run the Little Giants thing, you know, <laughs> that if it opened up, he was money. But uh, he was always the, the – the moment was never too big for Aaron Bates, regardless of the situation. I think he's a true competitor and a great person. And, uh, again, he's just another example. A lot of players on our team made other people around him better. You know, the people that surrounded Aaron became better because of Aaron Bates. We had so many guys like that. You know, Kirk Cousins and Craig Jones. Right. I could just go on and on. You know, guys made an impact on individuals. And, uh, so I was very excited to have him come and be our punter. And um, I could go on to a story about my mom telling him, but I'll let Aaron tell that one someday. <laughs> but uh, my mom told, told me about Aaron Bates long before he came to Michigan State. So he's a great one. Aaron, I guess so uh, – uh, Coach D's mom uh, uh, debt of gratitude and 
when you think about that and the opportunity to come and it's the Zanesville to Zanesville connection, what did all that mean and how do you look on your days at Michigan State? Well, um, yes, Coach D's mom is obviously where he got his eye for talent because um, she, she <laughs> knew about me way before he did. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I, I've told it before, but, you know, when, when I was trying to pick a school and it was getting down to crunch time um, right before signing day, you know, Coach D called me up and he said, hey, he said, so we want you to come here. You know, if you don't want to, we, we, we got to move on because we really need a punter. Um, but I'm just going to tell you that I've, I've never recruited somebody from the Scam County, so you're not going to tell me no. Um, <laughs> so I guess at that point I was kind of obligated to go there and uh, obviously turned out to be the best decision. And, um, you know, wonderful career there, playing for four years, uh, working there in the weight room as graduate assistant for two more. So, you know, getting to be part of the program for the first six years of, of uh, Coach D'Antonio's tenure was, was a lot of fun and, and, you know, learned a heck of a lot. Aaron, Michigan State has had such an incredible tradition with punters, going back to Hall of Famer Johnny Pingle, and there was Earl Morrow and Dick Kenny and uh, Ray Stackowitz, uh, four-time All-Big Ten player, and Ralph Moschenko. Greg Montgomery set all the punting records in this league. And then after you, Mike Sadler, uh, All-American, academic All-American as well, and now Bryce Berenger leading the nation in punting. But you were the first one that, that I remember that really perfected the art of punting and the drop and spinning the ball and doing the things now that you see so many punters doing. But you also have the higher, highest passer rating in Michigan State history. How much fun was that? <laughs> Well, the uh, the passes were a lot more fun than the punts. Uh, I, I guess that's because nobody expected that part of it. Um, that was, you know, obviously that was that was something we got to look forward to running those fakes and um, you know yeah. just having something being a little bit out of the box um, on those day to day responsibilities. Punting the ball, of course, it's important. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. Um, it, it is amazing when you look back at all the successful punters at Michigan State. Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of. Right. Uh, you know, the weather's not perfect up there for sure. Yeah. Um, so that's not helping you. But, I, I, you know, it just has to be something about the expectations and the standards are, are you know, at that level. Um, and, and so guys live up to those. Um, and it's, it's just been nice to see and, and nice for that tradition to just keep carrying on. Well, we'll never forget Little Giants. And you told the story about staying there and Mark asking you if you should run it. And then the Le'Veon looking back at you and tipping everything off and then uh, you kind of go into your second receiver, and uh, the look on Brian Kelly's face after the game was a classic. But Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it, and uh, continued success in all your work in Ohio. All right. Thank you, guys. What a welcome. Benny Fowler, a guy who came from the state of Michigan to Michigan State, and then on to a, a nice career in the National Football League. You got Super Bowl rings, and, and that can prove it. But in terms of his stay at Michigan State, Benny, uh, you were part of a bounce back, and uh, Michigan State in 2012 had some problems on offense and trouble in the past game. And then the next year, I think the work that was put in 
in the offseason, and the next thing you know, uh, you guys aren't losing games, and and you're catching big, big passes in the Rose Bowl. What can you tell us about that? Well, I can tell you in 2012, we were just learning a lot. We were learning who we are. We were a new quarterback. Andrew Maxwell was the quarterback at the time. You know, it was his first year starting. We were trying to figure it out. I mean, I think we lost the six games that we lost were a combined 13 points. So we were just trying to figure it out, and we were trying to learn how to win. Um, and then that, in that offseason, Coach D challenged us. We challenged ourselves, and our incredible defense definitely challenged us to, to be better because, you know, if we could score, we could do incredible things, and that goes on to our my senior year and the incredible senior class that we had, but then also the underclassmen that we had in terms of leadership. And we were able to to win the Rose Bowl, and we were able to get over that hump and and win those close games and really learn how to win and really dominate that that entire season from a a just a special team standpoint, offense standpoint, and then especially our defense. All right, take us through those two gigantic catches in Pasadena, and uh, the one just before halftime looked like Michigan State was going to go in with uh, a deficit. And they had their, their work cut out for them in the second half. And then they go deep to you down the sideline. And uh, amazing that you kept your balance spinning around making that catch. What do you remember about that play? Yeah, K67 Dancer was the play. Connor drew, uh, <laughs> threw it back. Um, you know, just a straight go route, trying to beat the defender and trying to make a play right before half and um, back shoulder throw. Um, low ball. I remember just catching that. I just, you know, remember that entire day. The, the grass, everything was just perfect that day. Uh, just an incredible day in Pasadena. And then um, uh, 52 Hank was the was the curl route I ran at the beginning of the second half. And you know, just as my last last time in the Spartan uniform, and wanted to go out with a bang. And you know, we hadn't been back to the Rose Bowl in 26 years, and wanted to make my impression on that game. And Connor made a great throw, and I was able to make the first defender miss, and then uh, I should have scored. I should have ran away from all those defenders. <laughs> Actually, I'm looking at that picture right now in my office, but uh, it was just an incredible moment, an incredible day, and all that work that we put in and that that, that tough year the year before led to, yeah. uh, led to some incredible things. Well, it was, a, it was a big catch and a big run after the catch, as you mentioned. Uh one of the more memorable Michigan State plays in a Rose Bowl. But I've told some people that maybe your most important catch, we don't know what would have happened in the Rose Bowl if you hadn't made those plays, but I know what would have happened if you hadn't made a catch in overtime at Wisconsin that ended the Badgers' long home winning streak in 2012. And a win there made you bowl eligible. You went on and got the victory. Uh, over TCU in the bowl game, and that was part of four straight bowl wins. What do you remember about that hookup with Andrew Maxwell and the silence uh, at Camp Randall Stadium? Yeah, I just remember Coach D saying that we were going to do the jump around at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and, hey, we are going <laughs> to match their intensity. We're going to match the crowd. We are going to match um, – just that incredible environment and atmosphere. You know, we had struggled that year in terms of our passing game, but, you know, they had given us a, a basically a blitz zero look, a cover one look, man-to-man look, and Maxwell actually checked the, the play. We had a play originally, I think, designed for Keith Munsfrey on the other side, and Maxwell checked the play to smash fade, and that's the play that we ran. Checked the play. They called a timeout, 
then we got the same look, and he checked it back and threw a back shoulder throw and made the catch. And, you know, what a great win. Uh, what an incredible time. What an incredible moment for our team, um, just as we were continuing to learn throughout that season. So it was, it was awesome. Benny, uh, before we go, I have asked this question of a lot of players from a lot of eras and talked to Darian Harris about it in depth. But representing all the players from the Mark D'Antonio era, what does it mean to be a Spark? It means everything. Um, when you think about being a Spartan, when you think about the camaraderie we had, when you think about Spartans' will, um, you can see it in all different facets. You, it's not just sports. You see it, you know, in a Kirk Cousins. You see it in a Dark Quasinar. You see it in a Draymond Green and Gary Harris. But then you also see it in a, a Roger Jansen. You also see it in a Bob Scandalaris. You see it in an Alan Haller as the athletic director. You see it in terms of a Matt Ishbia, all these incredible people. It looks different in so many different ways, but I think the Spartans will, the mindset that we have, the camaraderie we have, the the wanting to build a community and be a part of an incredible community that's doing incredible things is what it means to be a Spartan. I'll give you a chance, Benny. I know I've seen you uh, MC some events. Uh, I know you can handle this assignment. Can you do an introduction on Darquez Denard? Yeah, absolutely. One of the best, if not the best, cornerback in Michigan State history. One of the most incredible people, one of the biggest hearts. Um, somebody who really changed the culture at Michigan State and somebody who was more than just a captain, who was one of the pillars of the Mark D'Antonio era, one of the best cornerbacks, first-round draft pick from Twix County, Georgia, a very good and very close friend of mine and somebody who embodies Michigan State. Number 31, uh, Darquez Denon. You got 13 to 31. Uh, thanks so much, Benny. Really appreciate it. Quez, yes, sir. Uh, they talk about five star recruits, and you got to have five star recruits or four star recruits, maybe some three star recruits, and then you win championships with walk ons like Jack Conklin and two star slash no star recruits like Darquez Denard. Can you take us back to that time and, and your decision to come to Michigan State? Not like you had 38 other Division One offers. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, man, yeah, that time, it was great. Uh, you know, I was playing my last high school game against one of my close friends and, you know, Michigan State uh, guy as well, Keith Murphy. And the coach was yeah. out there to see him play. And that's how I got noticed, and that's how I got my scholarship. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't have any scholarships at the time. Uh, wasn't Football wasn't even on the radar for me. So uh, when Coach D gave me the opportunity, you know, it was, I was just, you know, happy and blessed to, you know, to be able to walk on uh, walk on, walk on that campus and wear that, wear that, wear that jersey. Quez, uh, I've said a lot, uh, always do everything you can do because you never know who's going to be watching you. And uh, you are exhibit A of that. Of course, the no-fly zone became famous at Michigan State. And uh, you and Curtis Drummond and uh, 
uh, Trey Waynes and uh, the group that went on, and, and you win the Jim Thorpe Award as the nation's outstanding defensive back. We know how tough that defense was in 2013 when Michigan State went 13-1. and And I remember when you came back from the Rose Bowl and you just wished you could have played Florida State because uh, you know, uh, they can have a quarterback, you know, they can have Winston and all those guys there. But I would have liked Michigan State's chances in that game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I just, you know, luckily I played with a great group of guys. Uh, that defense was outstanding. Like, uh, you look, look across the board, we had a, we had a whole list of guys, uh, that was hungry and, you know, ready to prove ourselves and really just go out, was able to go out there and have fun. You know, we had a, a really good year the year before, but, you know, the season didn't go how we wanted, you know, how the ball bounced. Uh, we right. Being on the short end of the stick of a lot of games that that the year before, and you know we had a lot to prove, and I think that was that what we did uh, coming into the 2013 season. You know we did some things that uh, I don't think it has been done. Uh, I don't know. I know it was the first team to you know go across the conference and win with 10, 10 plus points. So like that was yeah. a yeah. Uh, that was a, a outstanding thing for us because you know. Our whole thing was if we don't let them score, we'll win the game. So, and for us to go out there and be able to accomplish that week in and week out, uh, that was a, a, a amazing feat. And to you know, we wanted to compete against the best, and we felt like we had a, the the best team in college football that year. And you know, we just just missed the, the playoff little run a couple of years uh, early. I think we'll would have been national championships for sure with that team. We talk about ruling the Big Ten, and you do that by beating 10 conference opponents by 10 points or more. But quickly, I want to talk about two other games. One of them was one of my favorites down in Tampa. And it was the first bowl win of the Mark D'Antonio era against Georgia. And uh, Michigan State trailed 16 to nothing at the half. Spartan fans were, oh, no, not again. And then the second half started, and here comes Darquez Denard with that pick six. That didn't just turn a game around. Uh, that might have turned the attitude for a program around. You come back and you beat Georgia in triple overtime on that blocked field goal. Once you had done that, did you realize that, hey, we can beat anybody? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh Man, we had a really good team, and looking at that Georgia team at the time, you know, I'm a I'm a Georgia boy, so I had a lot to prove. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was really, uh, you know, I, uh, the ball rolled my way in every way possible uh, that game. I was able to make a few plays to change the game, change the dynamic against a team that, you know, pretty much said I wasn't good enough. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even good enough to walk on. So, like, that's how I kind of, like, took it. Uh, and I think that was the first win uh, of Coach D uh, era at Michigan State. Now that I think yeah, about it, and yeah. it, it ended up it, it absolutely changed uh, our whole mindset. With Kurt leading that team, you look at the the list of guys. You had Kurt, you had Keith Nichols, you had Le'Veon, Edwin Baker, you had Larry Caper, you had Deion Sims, 
Like, you look at that defense, you had Will Ghostin still, you had Johnny Adams, Trent Robinson. Like, we had a long list of guys that's just Spartans through and through. Uh, and look, Jarrell Worthy is on that team. Like, you look at the, you look at that team, man, it was loaded uh, full of guys and full of, you know, people who embody Michigan State, what it means to be Spartans. So, like, that was a good uh, – I think that win really got the ball rolling and really changed – the, the our headspace as far as us competing with any and everybody it didn't matter uh, just pretty much put a team out that was able to compete and win that was our thought process moving forward. One last thing for you, Quez. And we're talking with Darquez Denard, and he went on to uh, quite a long career in the National Football League. But Jim Thorpe, award winner as the nation's outstanding defensive back at 2013 season. Michigan State was 13-1. and one. That's the most wins uh, that this program has ever had and part of a run of 40-5 and five from the end of 2012 through the first two games of 2016. But the only loss in 2013 was at Notre Dame, 17-13. And there were some interesting interpretations on pass interference in that game. Michigan State flagged six times and uh, – uh, I guess that changed some things because after that, officials started calling pass interference differently. Uh, yeah, I don't, man, that game, uh, I'm still a little salty about that game to this day. Uh, that, you know, obviously we, I think we went down and we battled uh, a lot of those games, a lot of those plays of pass interference. You look back at those, uh, game-changing plays. Uh, I caught an interception on the pass interference. Uh, Trey caught an interception on the pass interference. So those two opportunities the offense can have to be able to score points. And uh, just looking back at that game, uh, I felt like we couldn't play it any better. Uh, I just think we, you know, I mean, obviously it's hard, to, hard, hard playing the game. It's hard to officiate as well. Uh, just being, you know, uh, playing the game long enough, you kind of understand. But I think a lot of those calls was, you know, uh, they got bailed out, uh, and it, it ruined our season. But it also it was an eye opener for us as well to motivate us to even not, you know, have it to right for them to have that decision, uh, for them to have that control. And I think that was like the mindset going into every game. That's why, you know, we can kind of look back and laugh at at the things like we won. Uh, all those games uh, after those after that game, we didn't even we needed it. we you know once in plus points, so we not even put it in an opportunity to the ref to even give it a call to even make it close. So that was our mindset to you know just handle what we control and go out there to make the plays and just make the plays that where at the end of the game it's not even close. Uh, it ain't even competing with us. So that game was a critical. I mean, even though the results ended up happening, we lo- we lost, but we took that challenge and we rolled it into uh, becoming better. And I think it showed uh, the rest of the season. And I've heard an interesting debate, Quez. Someone said, "Yeah, that game that cost Michigan State a perfect season and the national title." And the other guy said, "No." That galvanized Michigan State. That brought it together as a team. And if Michigan State had somehow won that game in South Bend, there might not have been a quarterback change, which led to three great seasons. Mm-hmm. Starquez, 
Thanks so much for joining us. Today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate you. All right. Uh, we're going to stay right here. And I tell you what, we could talk to Mark D'Antonio era guests for the rest of the night. But we want to welcome in Michael Geiger, place kicker from Toledo. And D'Antonio loved to recruit those Ohio guys. And uh, we talk about all of the great moments in 2015. Of course, there's the perfect 10, the 10 seconds, and Willie had trouble with the snap uh, in Ann Arbor. Michigan State outgained Michigan by 156 yards in that game. A lot of people forget that. And then you had the game uh, against Iowa in uh, the Big Ten Championship. Uh, in Indianapolis, and that was a 22-play drive with L.J. Scott's superhuman final effort to win it. But a lot of people are going to remember the greatest game that year in Columbus, and this was a supposedly unbeatable defending national champion, Ohio State team. And here are the Spartans without quarterback Connor Cook on a wicked, blistery day. And uh, Michigan State defense does an amazing job on Ohio State. Ezekiel Elliott, J.T. Barrett, talked about uh, Darian earlier. He's a second skin of those running backs, and they couldn't go anywhere. But it comes down to the end, and Michigan State is still doesn't have a win until Michael Geiger comes onto the field and hits that final field goal, and he joins us now. Michael, how many times have you been asked about that kick? in the state of Ohio? <laughs> uh, pretty much every day since the kick occurred, I would say. Um, but uh, as I always say, and my dad's always quick to remind me, there's a lot worse things to be reminded of constantly. Uh, it's definitely a <laughs> double-edged sword as a, uh, as a field goal kicker or even as an athlete. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure and um, there's a lot of critical moments throughout, you know, an athletic career. So <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely happy, happy memories every time it comes up. So. Yeah. When you think about uh, that kick and the conditions were so bad, uh, by no means an automatic. I mean, even to get your plant without sliding uh, took some effort. But you kicked the ball, and then you had one of the most memorable runs away from a goal line we've ever seen. And uh, that windmill, that crank motion that uh, so many kids now have tried to emulate, and your teammates chasing all around the field. It was really, really incredible. Um, you know, the holder at the time, Matt Maxud, and then my, you know, the long snapper. And every, we, you always plan what you're going to do in those situations. Um, but for whatever reason, under those circumstances, um, you know, being in that moment, um, and maybe subconsciously, I swear, um, you know, having seen Jalen Watts Jackson in the celebration in the end zone, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, in the big house, uh, I just decided to get out of Dodge and I just took off running uh, <laughs> basically on a full sprint. Um, so, I, you know, truthfully, I don't know if, uh, where that came from, somewhere uh, deep inside of me, but just uh, pure joy. And that was, that was my way of expressing it in the moment. So, And um, one of the more famous post-game interviews ever, uh, certainly in Michigan State history, you're down on the field with Keith Nickel, and you told everyone exactly how you nailed it. 
That, that's the part that uh, is a little bit more difficult to remember when it comes to, uh, you know, my in-laws and, and other people who maybe have heard that. And, and uh, not that it has negatively, negatively affected my uh, my reputation, but uh, <laughs> I still blame Keith because he and I, um, you know, the sideline can be a lonely place as a kicker and, and in a lot of respects where if you're a defensive player, you know, you're getting – emotionally invested in the game and getting your adrenaline up or if you're an offensive player you're looking to make an explosive play as a kicker you're basically sat there trying to control your emotions um and the way i did that especially in columbus on that evening was by chatting with keith so he and i had been um you know conversing all night and <laughs> as it goes he's the, after my sprint he's the first person who grabs me if you can tell i'm completely out of out of breath you know, yeah. still celebrating with my teammates, but somehow he found me, grabbed me by the collar of the shoulder pads, and uh, yeah, I guess I didn't, uh, I didn't mince my words. That's how I. <laughs> so, well, uh, your kicking did all the talking that was necessary. Michael, thanks so much for joining us and sharing a couple of uh, very important moments. In no, I appreciate history. it as always, Jack. Yeah, oh, we want to welcome in. Uh, my collaborators in this series uh, for very quick comments. I want to start with Con Demos, who was part of the national championship teams in uh, the mid-60s and uh, done some tremendous work with the Players Association. Uh, Con, uh, one question for you. What did Mark D'Antonio era mean for Michigan State and for the players who – suddenly could feel that pride again and, and carry to this day. Um, Jack, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I think the, the Antonio era brought Michigan State, as you mentioned earlier, back to prominence. We had been struggling. Mark came in very well organized, put a program together, and he grew it to a point where uh, – we were successful and very successful, and uh, I, I think we all have deserved to give Mark a great deal of gratitude. And uh, uh, he is a, a dear friend of mine, and I'm uh, happy for him. Uh, and that's about it. I uh, want to welcome in Tom Shanahan and a longtime prominent sports writer. A- winning writer, Football Writers Association of America, author of Ray of Light, story of uh, quarterback Jimmy Ray. And uh, Tom, uh, Mark D'Antonio and I are in your old stomping grounds, San Diego, where you worked for so many years. And we're looking for the uh, the statue of Tom Shanahan. We have <laughs> It's right next to the one by Jack Murphy. <laughs> uh, but I want yeah, to boy, what a parade! About, uh, what a parade of guests you had on, uh, yeah, uh, Jack. That was great. Um, the one, the one thing I want to say, whenever I think about Mark Antonio, and this yeah. might sound strange, but I think back to being at the State News and being a nervous kid uh, working, going up to Daryl Rogers' office, and one of the questions I asked him is, "Can Michigan State ever be a national champion again?" Because if you grew up in the 60s, a Spartan fan like uh, we did, um, that's the way you thought of the program. And Daryl said, yeah, because it's been done before. But nobody's ever got Michigan State back to that level. Uh, 
Uh, we didn't win a national championship, but he got the Spartans in the college football playoff, and they were ranked in the top two or three. Uh, I don't think I think Denny Souls would have lost interest after a while, which is what happened to him at San Diego State. Rogers didn't do it. Waters didn't do it. George Perlis let him get distracted, and in too many other battles that hurt recruiting. Nick Nick, Nick Saban left. Bobby Williams. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John L. Smith. And uh, by D'Antonio, uh, he he pulled it off. He did it. No question. And we have been happy to chronicle for those 13 seasons the past two weeks. We'll be back for a final installment, we think, next week. And uh, the Mel Tucker era, short as it is, uh, almost finished with season three. We'll talk about that, and we'll wrap up. Spartan football since 1896 next week. We'll be back in just a couple minutes here on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two-for-38-dollar tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, They have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to deanjobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers, four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. 
And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Eblin here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. You're listening to The Drive with Jack Epperman. Yo, guys! It's a game! It's a game out here I want to play in! SpotlightMediaStudios.com well, Welcome back to The Drive with Jack, Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Epperman here with my producer, Alex Heward. And I am in San Diego, getting ready for the Armed Forces Classic. Tomorrow... And uh, we're going to have some availability with Tom Izzo and uh, player two. A little bit later, around uh, 9 o'clock your time, 6 o'clock on the boat. We'll get mad if I call it a boat, but it's a, it's a big boat. All right. I want to go out to our guest line and welcome in the guy who's headed to San Diego, not to play in the game. We're talking about Chase Michelson. Is an outstanding intern for us at Evelyn Media on this show and a sports editor of State News, contributor to Free Press. Now on doing very successful things. The Westgate Superbook in Las Vegas. How you doing, Chase? How you doing, Jack? So uh, let's start with something that seems a long way in the rearview mirror right now. Uh, and that was the end of the World Series. When uh, Philadelphia uh, had an advantage and looked like it might have one of the ultimate upset runs uh, after having 19 fewer wins in Houston in the regular season, what kind of numbers could you have gotten if you'd bet the Phillies? And what about uh, the Astros running the tables? Again? Yeah, I mean, I, what, I guess yeah, the Phillies were never more than a small favorite. Um, even when they went up two to one, just because of the perceived quality of Houston going into the series, and yeah. um, the fact that uh, Houston's pitching was lined up in a pretty good way, and as we found out, a really good way um, in that pivotal game four. Yeah, um, obviously where they threw the combined no hitter, and then you had Justin Verlander going in game five, and then. Um, Framber Valdez in game six. 
So I here I got one right though, Jack. I finally got one right. I said Astros <laughs> in six. So I'm pretty just excited to like have a correct prediction on this show. Doesn't usually <laughs> go that way. Someone said, uh, "Hey, what were the odds of you saying uh, go Phils and then turning around uh, the next night and uh, cheering hard for Houston?" And I said, "Hey, if your television show would start at one fifteen in the morning, you'd switch allegiances too." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but I want to talk about last weekend in football, and you get Michigan State as a sixteen or more point dog in Champaign in horrible conditions when, uh, you know, Michigan State had not run the ball successfully. And first play from scrimmage is an interception. And then on Illinois' second series, uh, they get a long touchdown pass. Who would have guessed that Michigan State could score 23 straight points against the number one scoring defense in the country and get a win over the Illini? Yeah. Um, that was definitely surprising. It's funny how these narratives change, right? And we talked a lot this summer about, you know, how expectations for Michigan State were pretty high coming into the year. And yeah. certainly, you know, most Spartan fans would have been counting, oh, a game against Illinois. I mean, it's a road game. Right. It's Illinois. Right. As, you know, an easy winner. And then by the time it rolled around, of course, with the changing fortunes of both teams, you had a game that was, you know, probably would have moved by 20-plus points um, spread-wise from where it was in the summer wow. or where it would have been in the summer um, if it had been played week one. So, in the end, it was an easy winner. But it yeah. doesn't, uh, you know, it, it things change, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, you never really know how it's going to ha- go. Um, which is, you know, if you did, you could make a lot of money in this town. Unfortunately, I don't, so I don't make a lot of money in this town. (laughs) Well, when you think about this Michigan State season in particular, Chase, uh, uh, you know, the Washington game, uh, they were an underdog and played like it. And then coming home to play Minnesota, which at the time I thought was a really good team, and Michigan State was a no-show that day. And then going on the road, losing at Maryland, and, and it really looked bleak. Uh, halftime of the Ohio State game, you thought, you know, this team is just right in the dumper. And then coming out the next week, and I think surprising a lot of people, including some in Las Vegas at the books, with the overtime win over Wisconsin. And then you hold Michigan to a touchdown in each half. It's not that that was an even game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Michigan had the ball 23 minutes and five seconds. But there was nothing to indicate that Michigan State was going to do what it did. I guess when you get five fourth down stops and six chances, you're going to win some games. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, you know, Illinois obviously didn't capitalize on, on a lot of missed opportunities. But Illinois, um, you know, <sighs> Illinois had had a great season to that point, and clearly Brett Bielema has the, the program moving in the right direction, but there's still a talent issue um, so that when you're not necessarily playing your best football, you can lose to teams like Michigan State. Um, like Michigan also didn't really capitalize on a lot of opportunities against Michigan State, 
but the talent gap was so overwhelming that it the game never really felt very close. Um, Michigan has had struggles, Chase, in the first half against Indiana, against Michigan State, being a little fortunate to lead thirteen to seven. Last week, trailing Rutgers at the half. But you don't want to play Michigan in the second half. I think it's a 100-3 to three advantage the Wolverines have had after the break. So either wearing teams out or they're making some exceptional adjustments. At the half, I want to talk about a couple of games coming up with Illinois. This week against Purdue, and a game that will probably determine, probably, the Big Ten West champion. And then the Wolverines going into Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan looking at that game the next week with Ohio State, and have to stay focused. So uh, you think Illinois goes one and one in those games? Uh, do you think they are the West representative? And can they give Michigan a game? Uh, they can give Michigan a game. Um, it's hard to do it in Ann Arbor. Uh, there's, there's certainly favored to go one and one. Um, they're six and a half point favorites this week, and next week they will be pretty significant underdogs, I would imagine. Um, regardless of the results this weekend, um, but I would say overall, I like I like what I see from from Illinois, and I believe that they are the most complete team in the West. Um, it's a West that may not be at its best this year, but it's a West nonetheless. Um, and, and, you know, Purdue coming off a pretty disappointing performance last week. Um, you know, there's a lot of underachieving teams in that division. Um, obviously, Wisconsin had their coach fired. Iowa would have had their coach fired, except their job security is you know, at a different level than most of college football for reasons that we don't necessarily need to go into. Um <laughs> But Illinois has been really, really good and really, uh, really surprising. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think that, that they were a team that we were talking about as a team that could compete in the West. And, yeah, you know, uh, we were, had discussions about trying to figure out the hierarchy in that division. Um, and Are they picked last in the West? Uh, not in our room. I'll say that. Um, no, I think I think some of us were actually fairly high on Illinois coming okay. in, or what we ahead of Nebraska. To be high on them. I'm sorry. Ahead of Nebraska? No. Definitely not. I mean, Nebraska was in our room at least considered yeah. the best team in the West. I mean, wow. to, to, so to the, uh, ahead of Northwestern, you're saying, right? Yeah, ahead of Northwestern. Um, okay. But. Uh, you know, it's kind of turned out this way. I mean, look, you know, Michigan, of course, we knew was going to be good coming into this year. I don't think we thought they were going to be 31-point favorites against Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. But here we are. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what kind of odds someone could have gotten in the right place this summer to bet that Illinois would beat every team in the West, which can happen, uh, is expected to happen with wins over Purdue and uh, the Mildcats. And uh, the 6-0 there and 0-4 in games against the East, if they lose to Michigan, 
on uh, the 19th and then lose in the Big Ten championship game to Michigan or Ohio State on December 3rd, uh, I don't think we've ever seen a West champion winless against the East. I, I don't know. I guess it hasn't gone back that far, so it's probably easier to find out with some of the things you've given me over the years. But, yeah, I would imagine <laughs> probably not. Well, there aren't um, that many Big Ten division champs to begin with, and there are fewer, Chase, that have lost four games. And to lose yeah. them all in the crossovers, that, that's uncharted territory. I got one for you. All right. It's been 10 years or whatever it's been. Do you think you could tell me, hand on heart, which teams were in the legends and which teams were in the leaders? Huh. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can tell you which ones are in the East and the West, but I can't tell yeah, right. you the legends too. and leaders. No, and I, I get that, uh, get that confused from time to time. I, like I, I can come close, but uh, I, I would not be able to guarantee I could do that. I want to talk a little bit about the teams now and their chances to get into the college football playoff chase. And we had the second selection show uh, Tuesday night. We're going to have a few more, but there's only one that matters, as you always say. And that's the day after the conference championship games. Georgia now seems to have separated itself a little bit. Maybe Ohio State and Michigan are on its heels. Uh, and we don't know whether any conference is going to get two teams in. Um, not so sure about that. If Alabama were to somehow wind up in the SEC championship game, which can take some work, or LSU were to do it with two losses and somehow have a convincing win over Georgia, could we have the first two-loss team in the college football playoff? Um, it's possible the only two-loss team to make the BCS championship game was LSU. Um, that was a interesting year. 2007, <laughs> if people don't remember, was uncommon. I think that's yeah. fair to say. Yeah, very. Um, yeah, it's possible. Uh, it's difficult. Uh, I think. I think a lot of it depends on what happens in other leagues. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a chance that a one-loss Pac-12 team could potentially kind of sneak their way in. Mm -hmm. um, the Big 12, I find it harder to see that path. Um, obviously, TCU is currently undefeated. Um, they yeah. are seven-point underdogs this week to Texas. Um, TCU runs the table. Are they in? Yeah, if they run the table, they're in. I just find that very is hard. Clemson out? It's tough because I think what you're saying is, is accurate. Like, Clemson's path, like, I don't see how Clemson gets in over the loser of the Michigan-Ohio State game. Mm -hmm. Right? Because if, yeah. if you're – the loser of that game, particularly if you're Michigan, your only loss will have been on the road to Ohio State. That's hard to mm -hmm. say you don't deserve it over a Clemson team that's basically been unimpressive all season and got their doors blown off by a pretty mediocre Notre Dame team. Right. 
Um, well, unless Ohio State would score 62 or 56 again, which I don't see happening the way it did in uh, 18 and 19. But we, we get in the conversation, Chase, about multiple teams from a conference in the playoff. And uh, people think, well, you know, what happens uh, to the West champ if they, I think, the team in the SEC that is going to have a case is Tennessee. Yes, very well positioned. They're not going to get to play in the conference championship game the same way the Michigan-Ohio State loser would be. And I think they would have had a much tougher schedule than uh, the Big Ten East runner-up. And I look at what Tennessee has done with the quality wins and beating Alabama and then rolling LSU. Right. Um, I would think that right now, if I were to pick four teams, it would be Georgia. Uh, you know, definitely it would be the Ohio State-Michigan winner. And after that, uh, you know, I think Tennessee has as good a chance as any team. I, I agree 100%. And, and what you said is true. They don't really have that opportunity or you don't anticipate them losing another game. Anything's possible, of course. But you would say that they're going to be prohibitive favorites in the rest of their games. And then if they're 11-1, and one, like you said, with a win over Alabama, um, dominating road win over LSU, those are two pretty good wins. Um, and Alabama won a national championship win. without being in the conference championship game, right? It's uh, won yes. a rematch with LSU. Yeah, well, they've won... I think they've won two national championships without being in the conference championship game. Yeah, yeah. They won in 2011, and then they went in the BCS era. Like you said, the rematch with LSU, and then I believe they won in 2017. Yeah. And Auburn was the SEC West representative that year. All right, Chase, before we let you go, do you have a game this weekend that uh, you think people should take a look at that uh, looks like might be uh, pretty good numbers out there, either college or pro? What's the one game that you feel most confident about? I don't know necessarily that I most feel, feel most confident about, but I'll, I'll say this. Um, I TCU is number four in the country. Everybody's very excited about them. Uh, they're a seven-point underdog. I feel like a lot of people say TCU's undefeated. How could they be a big underdog like this? And they're going to say seven free points. I'll take that. I would say uh, beware of that. There's a reason Texas is a seven-point favorite in that game. Um, I expect Texas to win and cover. We'll see what happens. Um, but I, for as far as a marquee game, people don't want to hear about my Conference USA picks. Uh, as far as a marquee game um, that, that people might kind of be leaning one way and your instinct tells you yeah. the number four team is a big underdog, well, there's a reason for that. All right. Thanks so much, Chase. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. I don't know if we'll see you in San Diego or not. We'll be right back. And Austin Thornton scheduled to join us, and uh, all he was was a co-captain. The last time uh, Michigan State or a Big Ten team played on the aircraft carrier. We're talking about 11 years ago, and now he is video coordinator for this Michigan State team. We'll be right back. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Hi, 
Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you. Right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small town thing, but it's big time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, they have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Eblin here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack. It's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River and Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. 
We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or <laughs> batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two for $38 tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. You're listening to The Drive with Jack Everton. When I pick those balls out, I don't want anyone throwing them. You know, to me, they're perfect. SpotlightMediaStudios.com Welcome back. It is The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Eblin with my producer, Alex Heward. Alex back in the Spotlight Studios downtown. And I am in San Diego getting ready for the Armed Forces Classic coming up. And uh, that is... In less than 25 hours, but we want to welcome in Austin Thornton and a long career with Michigan State, including being a co-captain in 2011-2012, now on time as staff, a video coordinator. Austin, I want to go back 11 years and uh, starting a season with a game like that, uh, I guess you have the Champions Classic, but uh, you're getting ready to come to the carrier and all of the unknown. What do you remember about that incredible trip, meeting the troops, and then doing battle with North Carolina? Oh, man. Well, it was um, it was an unbelievable event. It was fantastic to be a part of. And uh, it's actually kind of ironic because we're actually going through a tour of the ship right now. So if I do chime in and out here, don't mind me. Uh, I just make sure that. But best memories from that. Um, my older brother at the time was an active uh, active second lieutenant in the Marine, and now he's uh, now he's a reserve major in the Marine Corps. And to have him there be in his uniform, um, you know, it really just puts into perspective the the opportunities that we get to partake in because of individuals who make sacrifices for our country. So that's, that's just the best memory from it. Um, I could go on for days about all the, the members in the first one, and it's just uh, an unbelievable event to be part of. What does it mean, aside from the fact that Michigan State was one of the uh, inspirations, originators of this event, but the Spartans are back for a second year, and Tom Izzo said he knew he had a, a brutal schedule, but they were taking the jaws of life to pull him off of this one. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We we, we talked kind of in the springtime, and he was like, AT, you know, I just, you know, our schedule is going to be crazy, but I couldn't say no to this game. And I said, Coach, it's going to be a, almost going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for most of these guys and really really most people. You know, they, they after our game took place, the first one, they tried to do a couple more, and it, it wasn't able to yeah. work out for various reasons. Um, no. And again, it's like it's been 11 years. So 11 years. Um, again, chance to just partake in something that just doesn't happen very often. 11, 11, 11, and 11 years later, I guess we can look ahead 11 years, and I don't know if Tom Izzo will be around on November 11, 2033. 
But yeah, uh, <laughs> if they do have this game, I'm sure that he'll want to get Michigan State in it. As a player, with the background, uh, playing on the deck, uh, this is a big boat. This is not like uh, your rocket side. But still, it's not like you're indoors at a gym in controlled environment with your background you're so used to. For a player, how tough is that? Well, it's funny, we, you know, as, as we, we're kind of going through it right now, and we're actually out on the deck as we talk on the phone here, and it's a little breezy. And I was telling the boys, I said the first time, you know, that my, uh, my senior season, um, I shot about 48, 49% from the, from the three. Um, in this particular game, I was over seven. Like, what do you mean? I said, yeah, man, we're shooting outside. Wind was blowing. Sun was in your eyes. Uh, you know, it just takes you kind of back to the good old days when you first started playing basketball. Best yeah. way to score out here, get the ball inside, two feet in the paint, get this free throw line. But, no, it's – um. It's one of those things where you don't want to make any excuses, um, but, you know, it, there's a major, major difference. It's like, it's like anything else. We talk about all the time when our guys shoot in our auxiliary gym versus when they go down to the, to the arena or you go to a different court. It, it does have an impact. Um, hopefully it doesn't have an impact too much for us. Hopefully Gonzaga misses every outside shot they take, and we make every outside shot that we take, and we uh, come out victorious. <laughs> you know, uh, Tom Izzo thinks about – thinks of just about everything, Austin, as you know, but – uh, I'm wondering if, uh, given the conditions and the weather that we have had in mid-Michigan, hasn't been that different from what we're getting this week in Southern California, if you wouldn't have a team practice outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> well, ironically enough, I guess the uh, weather back home tomorrow at this particular time of the day is actually supposed to be nicer than supposedly beautiful sunny 75 every single day in Southern California itself. It's oh, one yeah. of those things. I think it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. It, it, it'll work itself out. I, I do remember from last time um, there was an issue with rain. Potentially, they were calling for rain in the forecast all day all day long, and thankfully it didn't. It didn't happen. Thankfully, this time it doesn't seem to be any rain in the forecast. I think that'll be a big thing. Um, and if it's a little windy, hey, it'll be okay. Our boys will figure out a way to get in the paint. Figure out a way to get a three point line, make some shots, prevent them from making some shots, and like I said earlier, hopefully come out with a W. Uh, playing North Carolina, that's a challenge in and of itself. And uh, you had a couple of run-ins with the Tar Heels, including one for national championship back yep. in 2009. You could have picked an easier opponent. I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? Kind of cut out there a little bit for me. Yeah, I'd say uh, you got North Carolina uh, on the, the deck back in uh, 2011, and you had you yep. met them for the national title uh, back at Ford Field, uh, you could have gotten easier foe. Yeah, well, those uh, those two games that we played against, those two incredibly talented teams, um, you mentioned the 2009 National Championship game. Well, actually, we played Carolina that, that year twice, both times right. at Ford Field, and both times we got smacked pretty good. Um, second time around, we did have Goran Sutan, made the game a little bit closer, but they uh, that, that, that Tyler Hansborough-led Carolina team was, was – uh, Pretty legendary in terms of, of, of talented basketball team, and then we came and played them uh, North Carolina here uh, on the aircraft carrier, and they were preseason number one. Same thing, six or seven of those guys played in the NBA, were drafted at some point. Um, yeah. pre, you know, just a very, very, very talented team. And Gonzaga is preseason number two team for a reason. Uh, they've got probably one of the best, if not the best, college basketball players um, in the country. And Drew Timmy, a lot of support around him. Uh, some very, very, very good guard play. And there's a reason why they've been one of the more successful programs over the last decade or so, because Coach Butte does a fantastic job understanding her personnel and getting them to play within 
uh, their offense and their skill set. So it's going to be a challenge for us. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, we did have a preseason game versus Tennessee, a preseason yeah. scrimmage, and I thought we played pretty well. And I, and I do believe Tennessee's, uh, if they stay healthy and things go well for them, they're, they're going to they're going to make a push for a Final Four. They're very talented, very deep, very long, very athletic team, skilled on the right. offensive end and very tough defensively. Um, and Tennessee beat up on Gonzaga. So hopefully that uh, speaks well for us and gives us a good chance. And if our boys come out and play hard, play tough, play the Michigan style, Michigan State uh, brand of basketball, give ourselves a chance to win. I want to go back to uh, your first couple of years at Michigan State. And, uh, you know, you get two trips to the Final Four. You think, well, it's just part of the schedule. And uh, you have losses in uh, 2009 in the championship game, and then uh, the game against Butler the following year, and I can still hear the slap of Gordon Hayward on Draymond Green's arm on that last shot. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. But then you get to your senior year, and uh, you're a co-captain, and you did play more than half the games, and you started 16 of them. Yep. But that team, uh, the tremendous character, tremendous leadership, Goes on and surprises a few people, I think, and, and wins a Big Ten championship. What was it like to leave with another title? Yeah, that was an unbelievable year. Um, you know, and then again, I was very fortunate enough to be a part of a very successful five-year stretch. Uh, within that five years, we were able to hang six banners, as you mentioned, uh, three Big Ten regular season titles, uh, two Final Fours. And my senior year, we actually won the Big Ten tournament down there in Indianapolis. And had, I don't right. think we had one time in about 10 or 11 years. So a chance to be a senior leader, a co-captain, uh, along with my, my good friend Draymond, uh, was an unbelievable experience. Still a bittersweet feeling, you know, getting knocked out in the Sweet 16. We were, uh, we ended up, you know, playing ourselves into where we were number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, and you know what? We just came out and we had a – it was either our second or third worst offensive performance of the day out there in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, but you know what? All things considered, like I said, five years, very successful, a lot of fun, a lot of wins. Um, but in a way, kind of eerily similar to this year where we've got, you know, we, we, there weren't a whole lot of preseason, wasn't a whole lot of preseason hype for us. We had come off a the year prior where we were preseason ranked number two, uh, coming off the back-to-back Final Fours, coming off the back-to-back Big Ten Championships. On paper, a very talented very, very talented team, but very, very dysfunctional. And uh, my senior year, we were able to kind of get our function back. Everyone understood their role. Everyone appreciated each other as teammates. Everyone understood right. each other's strengths and each other's weaknesses. And it just it led to, uh, it led to, like you said, one regular season Big Ten championship, Big Ten tournament title, and number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Very successful year. Austin, uh, I've heard people say, oh, Michigan State was so close to winning in 2009 and then not so close in 2010. And I said, even though Michigan State had a chance to beat three number one seeds in 2009, I mean, a lot of teams could have played North Carolina a lot of times and not won. And the next year, if it hadn't been for the injury to Kalen Lucas, I think Michigan State would have won. Uh, instead, uh, you run up against a, a Butler team, and I think everyone would like to play that game over. But oh, I'd yeah. say the biggest surprise uh, was not uh, what happened those years, but the Draymond Green did not get a technical foul after that last non-call. <laughs> well, you know, it is it is one of those things that it it it, it you know it kind of etches in your memory, leaves an emotional 
you know, it's like, oh, man, like we were so close. But that, you know, that 2010 year, um, you know, you can give, give Butler credit. They were a team of destiny. You know, the, the Final Four was yeah. in Indianapolis. Butler's obviously down there in Indianapolis. Um, and like you mentioned, the 2009 um, National Championship in North, in North Carolina, that team, they, they, those guys came back with one mission in mind, and that was to win a national championship. You know, I think if I'm not mistaken, you could check me on this. I believe seven of the top eight on those uh, on that team was was drafted in the NBA at some point in the first round. Um, guys who were legendary Carolina players. Um, but you know what? It's like it's it's one of those things where sometimes things work out, sometimes they don't. Um, and you mentioned Caleb Lucas. If he go if he doesn't go in, doesn't go down, I I can all but guarantee we we probably win a national championship that year. So. Um, but things happen for a reason, and uh, it just it ended up the way it did. And I'm just glad that uh, Delvon Rowe ducked when he did, so that that pass yeah. <laughs> uh, in the game against Maryland could get from Draymond to Corey Lucius to hit that uh, buzzer beater. But uh, when you think about your last game in Big Ten play, Austin, and uh, Michigan State had a tremendous Big Ten championship win over Michigan in 2019 as the third win over the Wolverines that year. But I think most people will tell you uh, as good a Big Ten championship game as has ever been played was in 2012. And the back and forth nature of that game against Ohio State, uh, a record number of lead games. I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? We just yeah, got on the bus said, uh, and had about 16 people yelling at me. championship game as has ever been played, that game in 2012 against the Buckeyes, yeah. you scared the regular season title, and then you yeah. beat them in that game with a record number of lead changes. Yeah, well, that was a little bit of a payback for us. We, um, you know, if you probably remember, you know, we, yeah. our, our last, you know, senior game, senior home game, um, you know, we were beating them up pretty good in the first half, and then Brandon Dawson went down and ended up tearing his ACL, and yeah. they uh, they battled themselves back into the game and ended up. Um, Will Buford hit a, a fantastic shot with about one second to go that ended up helping them win. They kind of they beat us on our home court on Senior Day. That was a tough pill to swallow. So you know, Draymond and I talked quite a bit. Like we're going to have to go ahead and, and pay them back because you know we got to win this Big Ten tournament title. So. Now, Jack, I do apologize. We're, we're on the bus. Yeah, here. We're I understand. Calls, uh, we so. appreciate all your time, Austin. <laughs> I know you've got to go. Brooks. Otherwise, you're going to be in a life raft. Thanks so much Bowser. for joining us. Bogart. Hey, I want to guests today. And, uh, Alex, uh, this was as busy a show as uh, you've ever had. You know, I think you might want to talk to the boss about a little bonus uh, for today, but... I want to thank Doug Wojcik, Michigan State assistant coach, veteran of the Naval Academy, for joining us. Going Green, a football family, Mark D'Antonio, Benny Fowler, Dark West Denard, Michael Geiger, Candimos, Tom Shanahan, Chase Michelson, and Austin Thornton. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone.